bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome back to episode 177 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this is the second part of a little mini-series that I spontaneously decided to do on grief and loss because due to my current state of grief, I didn't have any guests for the show. I didn't feel like reaching out to anyone to come on the show. I, my heart just <laughs> was was heavy. It's been heavy a lot. So this series is just something that I made in the hopes that it would connect with some of you listening who have been through grief or who are going through grief yourself. In, in grief can be for anything. You know, grief can be for something that seems minor to other people. If it feels like grief to you, then it's it's grief. So don't have to apologize that your grief isn't as significant as what you think somebody else's grief is. Grief is grief. So my grief might be different. It might be a different context to yours, but I hope that there's wisdom in this episode that m- might be transferable to you in your own situation, wherever that situation is, whatever context it's in. So last week I was talking more about, you know, things I wish I'd known during and following my brother's Brett's death from muscular dystrophy and the tools I wish I'd had because I just was lost at sea with my grief during that time. And now my dad has cancer and if you did listen to last week's episode you'll know a bit more about that but my dad has cancer and he's the longest greatest love of my life I adore him and it's it's utterly devastating for me and my heart going through this watching him suffer and watching him deteriorate and knowing that I'm not going to get long, healthy future with him, that's unbearable. It's unbearable. And after my brother died in 2005, I really had <sighs> kind of naively, well, not kind of, very naively, told myself that that was the last time I would lose someone. And so dad getting sick, it was like, I felt blindsided that, oh, you don't just, and not that, not that intellectually I, obviously intellectually I know that you're going to lose all your parents and you're going to lose people around you. And, and I know that and I get it, but deep in my soul, I had decided that Brett was the only one I was going to experience and that I wasn't going to have to go through it again. So when Dad got really sick 
recently, you know, uh, since late last year, I just, it just hit me. And, and one of the biggest things that hit me was, oh, you didn't deal with this last time well. And I've spoken about it a little bit in my big episode 36 <laughs> telling my own story with multiple sclerosis and chronic illness, but I didn't get it then. When I recorded that episode, I didn't get it and I shamed myself and I allowed listeners to shame me about my behaviour in that, from that episode when I was talking about myself and now I see it so differently through these new eyes going through grief again My behavior after my brother died wasn't great. And and when I was sick, when I was sick with chronic disease, fibromyalgia, obesity, anxiety, constipation, my behavior wasn't great. I did so many crappy things. You know, I treated my body terribly. I treated my mind terribly. I treated other people like partners of mine, and, and by terribly, I mean I pushed them all away. So it wasn't that I, you know, hurt them physically or verbally. I just acted in ways, in, un, unconsciously acted in ways to push them away because I didn't want them to see me vulnerable. I didn't want them to know that I was hurting. I didn't want them to see me suffering. I didn't want them to watch me deteriorate in my health I didn't want them to know the depths of my anguish and grief at losing my brother or being diagnosed with MS or any of it. I didn't want them to see it, but I also desperately wanted someone to cuddle and love me. So it was this real catch-22 where I was pushing them away, but I needed them. Catch-22, catch the right metaphor, analogy? I'm not sure. But that's what I was doing and and now with my dad I can sense, you know, it's not it's not the same because now I have tools that behavior that I had which I associated at the time with kind of being I guess in inverted commas a bad person and I really believed that I was this really bad person doing really bad things back then not being kind and not being as loving as what I like to think of myself as. And now I feel differently because I, I feel that feeling of wanting to run away. I feel that feeling of wanting to run from this emotion of grief. I feel that feeling of wanting to push people away and not let them see me vulnerable. And I feel that desire to as I mentioned in last week's episode, to eat higher calorie foods, to even to drink alcohol when I'm not someone who drinks alcohol, I feel these kind of feelings, these cravings, these desires appear. And our last time round when I was grieving for my brother, I would have acted on every single one of them impulsively. Now, I know that this is... Now I'm also looking through the lens of an adult living with ADHD where we act impulsively anyway and we have difficulty dealing with our, um, regulating our emotions. So 
now I see it a, a, a different again through that lens. But when grief, with grief, it's just, it is just the best teacher, even though it's awful to actually experience. It hurts and it's harrowing and heavy and uncomfortable. But what it teaches me the most is that we have this idea of good people and bad people. But really it's just people who are doing okay, that things are traveling along okay. It's easy to be good when things are good. It's easy to be good when you, you've got support. It's easy to be good when within you you've got a spirit or you've got meaning or you've got purpose or you've got community and connection or you've, you're not living with a disability, you're not living with a mental illness, you're not living with generational systemic trauma, you're not living with unprocessed, unmanaged, heavy grief and anger and sadness and hurt and shame and guilt and fear. It's easy to be good when things are good. We like to think, we like to, as humans, put people in these boxes of good and bad, righteousness. We like to be judgmental and cast our judgment on people from their behaviour and I did it to myself and I, I, I do it to myself still to this day, even though I've done so much work. But noticing my thoughts and realizing that, oh, the behavior that I had, that I was doing, was just grief being enacted. Just grief and trauma, watching someone that you love die, suffer, lose their life when they wanted so desperately to live, not having that managed, having no community, having no resources, inner resources or external resources around me to manage it. And I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, I have this beautiful, loving family. You know, some families are fractured. They're estranged. They're dealing with long-term drug and alcohol issues, they're dealing with their own trauma and they're grieving. And we expect people to just behave like good in inverted commas people all the time, not factoring in their contexts, their cultures, their experiences, all of the pieces. I'm not an angry by nature person, but I was furious when Brett died. I was furious at everyone who was living when he wasn't, who was enjoying the day when he couldn't, when I couldn't. I was so angry that people could just go out for drinks, that they could just read a book or watch a show or catch up with friends and laugh when every ounce of me felt like it was bleeding onto the pavement with my sadness, my despair, my loss. I was so angry. And I didn't know that anger was just a part of my grief at the time. I didn't know that wanting to numb myself with alcohol or drugs or sex or food 
was part of my grief. I just thought, wow, you're sad as well as a shit person. You're sad as well as a food addict. You're sad as well as being a smoker. You're sad as well as being a crappy human. I didn't, I didn't understand that. I didn't have any understanding or awareness of what grief and grief when I was living with chronic illness myself. And most people are living, 70% of people have some form of either obesity or a chronic illness or, you know, adults, adults in our society have something. They get migraines, they have asthma, they have eczema, they have psoriasis, they have chronic back pain, they have something that makes navigating grief at the same time extra challenging. And yet we show no real form of compassion or support as a culture or society for this, for the fact that it's it's not just a linear thing. Grief comes back again and again. It's set off by different circumstances, different moments, different smells, different sounds. Grief doesn't just arrive and then leave and you're done. Grief visits and then pops out and then pops back in. At the beginning, the, the grief just stays. He moves in and he stays and you wish he would just freaking leave. But then grief leaves and then he comes back many times throughout the day and then it becomes less and less and less and less. And so you think that grief's gone forever and then you watch a show or you hear a sound or a song and there they are. And they might not stay very long, but they're back and they're just as intense. And I don't know if you've seen that pain box with a box and the pain button and there's a ball inside that's nearly the same size as the box. And with grief, like that ball, it's hitting that pain button all the time because the ball's so big and there's no space for it to bounce around in the box. But the button, the pain button, stays the same. But as time goes on, the ball gets smaller, so it naturally bounces off that pain button less frequently. But the pain, when it is, that ball does press it again. The pain is, is the same. When people are living in this complex, these complex contexts where we're more than ever receiving like the world's greatest tragedies and sadnesses and worries into our inbox and we're constantly in a state of perpetual fear and we're grieving and we have complex health comorbidities and we're in a pandemic, it makes sense that we're not our awesome self. We all know someone who was, a, was touched by death and grief and they, they stayed being amazing great. But that isn't all of us. Some of us flail about. Some of us don't have tools, don't have religion, don't have spirituality, don't have community, don't have, have never been modeled how to healthily express their heavy emotions. Most of us haven't. So what I wanted to just to say in this episode 
of the podcast about that is in dealing with my dad, I'm just allowing myself to notice, not to dive in, because last time around when Brett was dying, I listened to every single craving and thought and just followed it to my own self-destruction. Every time I said, it said, leave, run away, eat too much, stay in bed, eat this junk food, smoke 10 billion cigarettes, whatever it said, I did. And this time I'm feeling that those same impulses, but I'm just noticing them. And it's not that I'm not eating more calories because I am. I've eaten more medjool dates. And I know one of you, I think Michael, he mentioned it the other day. And I initially was, felt shame about that I, I was back eating medjool dates or that I was eating them. And, and then I thought, you know what? <laughs> I used to smoke and drink cans of V energy drinks all day and eat everything in a deep fryer and everything that was in a packet and a package, all those things. And now it's dates and so be it. But also I'm not, I'm not overeating on dates. I'm just eating them, which I normally wouldn't. Now I know that, you know, if you see me, I probably am eating more. <laughs> I won't lie. I probably am eating more vegan treats than I normally would. Now they're pretty healthy treats like raw cheesecakes and things like that. But I'm just noticing I'm drawn to them and then thinking about why I'm drawn to them. Why are we drawn to these things? I'm noticing it and just being compassionate with myself. Why am I drawn to having more more soy chai lattes? I'm drawn to them because I'm grieving, because my body is saying, oh, my gosh, you're under heaps of stress. You're so worried about your family and your dad. And these foods are high in calories. And you are feeling so depleted. And I'm just having compassion for myself. Now, I'm not saying deep dive into them, but just notice. Because when you notice, you actually end up indulging in them less. So I'm indulging in things so much less. I'm being so kind and compassionate to myself. I'm forgiving myself. I'm feeling like drinking alcohol. And I never like alcohol. I've never even drunk very much but in the pandemic I had probably over the whole pandemic I probably had maximum three bottles of red wine over the whole of last year so not much but more for me than I ever have and I feel that sense of wanting to just drink to numb the intense feelings and with having really built in spiritual practices for myself, meditation, journaling, I can just notice those feelings. And and sometimes I might say, you know what, I'm okay with having a glass of wine tonight. And sometimes I say, you know what, Corinne, you don't feel good long term when you have that. You're not going to feel good and you don't want to feel awful because of the food and the things you're ingesting as well as awful because your dad's very, very unwell. And I just show myself some compassion. 
and listen to myself and forgive myself and forgive myself for all the thoughts, all the thoughts about wanting to stay in bed, all the thoughts about wanting to just crawl into a bear's cave and never come out until it's all over, all the thoughts about life feeling unbearable and just let them exist alongside me. Just having self-compassion, I think, is one of the biggest things I've learned from losing Brett and from dealing with Dad. Having some self-compassion and allowing myself to be vulnerable and not perfect, to be perfectly imperfect in my journey with grief. We talk about that here all the time. And the wellness movement is paved with perfection and the gravestones of people who've fallen down from a height of being held on a pedestal as a wellness guru. And I'm not a wellness guru. I just share hope stories. I love hope stories. And my story is hopeful. It is. But I'm still in it. We're all still in it, in this moment, living fallible humans, perfectly imperfect. We're doing it now, right now, in this moment, and in this moment, and this moment. These are all we have. Yes, I am in, have been in remission from MS because of my dietary choices and changes, and I love that, and I'm so happy to be running and fit and healthy. But I'm a human, and this is grief. And I don't want people to say, oh, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, behave differently. But what I want this episode to be about is acknowledging that we're going to do the best we can with the resources we had. And when Brett died, I had very few resources. I had a beautiful mom, a beautiful brother, a beautiful father. I was going to university, so I had a drive to get up on the days when I had my lectures. And outside of that, I had cigarettes, cakes, biscuits, energy drinks, and that was it. It wasn't a great time. They weren't the best resources, but they were still better than many people have. And I was still blessed even then. But now I have new tools and if you're listening and you're thinking, how do I, how do I get through this? Find the tools that work for you. What gets you up and excited and out of bed? Do that. Get into nature. And I know this is going to be like a bit of a lecture, a sermon, but nature is so important for us to connect to and ground ourselves into when we're feeling overwhelmed by life, taking some deep breaths, many deep breaths, journaling, meditation, self-healing or working with a healer for yourself. Now, that was my thing. If you're religious, then going to church, prayer. For me, it was meditation and Reiki and A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles was the book that really helped me through my grief and at the other at the other side whatever book or text or 
poetry or film or whatever it is for you that works for you, use that. Don't follow my exact method. Just do the things that work for you. If it's going to the gym, if it's working out, if it's boxing, if it's martial arts, if it's whatever it is, swimming, hiking, whatever it is, do those things. Be open to new things coming into your heart, new loves, to creativity, to music, to all the things. Be open. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Forgive yourself and show compassion, but forgive others. Because one thing we do when other people are behaving badly is we judge them. And we judge them harshly, often. And it's not that we should let people do bad things to us. No, it's not that. Keep your boundaries. Make boundaries if you don't have boundaries. Support people who want your support don't, and, and are taking, doing their best and are doing their best to navigate their own lives. But if someone's being unkind to you or making your life harder, use your own discretion and discernment to pull back from that relationship or to express and communicate the boundary for you and where they're crossing it and establish a new firm boundary with them and say, hey, I won't accept anything less than this from now on moving forward. I love you very much, but these are my boundaries. I'm drawing a line here for my own happiness, for my own safety, for my own self-preservation. I hope you understand. What I mean by forgiving others is knowing that they're doing the very best they can in that time. Now, we don't have to bring them forward into our arms and have them over for dinner. Just accept that other people have their own model of the world, their own reality, their own version that's different to you, that's based on their own life, their own story, their own ancestry. There are so many factors that play a role in determining someone's behavior their own mental health, their own abilities, their own culture, just accepting and forgiving other people for not acting in the way you would have acted in that moment because you don't actually know if you'd walked in their shoes how you would have acted. I know that I, the more I kept telling myself that a good person behaves in this way and a bad person behaves in this other way, the more shame I carried, the more disappointment I had in myself, the more sadness, the more defeated I felt. But the more I understood that I was a human, that I was a stardust being, you know, for me, I, I believe in being in, the, you know, in God and universal energy, life force energy. And the more I realized that I was energy in human form, just navigating life, trying to experience what it's like to be human. And to be human is to, is it to say, to be human is to err, to error? To error is, to, is human, you know, to make mistakes, to learn from those mistakes. If you're with someone who's never learning from their mistakes, put some boundaries in place. But most people 
are just walking around doing their best. You don't know who's grieving. You don't know when you're on the road and you're angry at the person in front of you for cutting you off what's going on. You never know who on the road is having a bad day or that they're worried about someone, that they're not paying attention because they're thinking about someone who's suffering in their life or their own suffering. And maybe they're driving poorly, but it's not them. They're not bad people or even bad drivers. They're just in that moment making a mistake based on their current circumstances. And lastly, just to wrap this episode up, on the subject of signs, noticing signs, noticing when you're not doing well, connecting with local support groups, perhaps going to your local medical practitioner, talking about your mental health, connecting with others, connecting with support groups, connecting with old friends or new friends or community meetups or nature or anything like that, exercise groups. Exercise for me has been just a non-negotiable. It was always something that I never did when Brett died. And then I found the benefits to my mental health and my overall well-being from being in nature, from running in nature, just from exercising, doing yoga at home, doing whatever it is. I just would feel so much better. So I highly recommend that to everyone, just to check in, notice the signs. If you're feeling like, whoa, I haven't been out of bed for a month, I never want to get out of bed. I want to push everyone away. I feel, just notice if you're eating too much, if you're drinking too much, connect with people. Connect with people who can support you or hold you accountable or help you. If you can afford support services, seek them out, you know, go and find a local psychotherapist if you need or a counsellor or a, I've booked in myself just to get regular support from my Reiki master because I want ongoing support through this. I don't want to be unsupported through this spiritually. I want spiritual support through this. And I have my other friends who are hypnotherapists who I'm connecting with and NLP practitioners who I'm connecting with, which I'm very blessed to be able to do from my training. But if you don't you don't have to have those tools. If you can afford them, great. You can even connect with me because for me this time around, having meaning and the meaning in my work with women, doing the work that I do with women's self-worth and confidence and and supporting women with body confidence and and releasing excess weight and all of those things it just gives me a reason to get out of bed. I love it. I love that work. So if that's something that you would like and you want to work with me, I'm now working Monday, Tuesday, every second Saturday online and in person in my little space in Mombolk. But if you're overseas in anywhere around the world, you can work with me via Zoom. I do free chats. If you'd like to just talk for 30 minutes with me about your diet, your nutrition, about your confidence. I work predominantly with mums. This work works with anyone. If you're wanting to do some work on your unconscious mind and the root causes for your anxiety, your emotional eating, your smoking, those kinds of things, that's my favorite work to do. Because I know from noticing my own grief over the years, living with chronic illness, living with grief and loss from my brother and my own health with multiple sclerosis, the thing that we think's the thing is pretty much never the thing. 
The thing that is the real thing is often deep down hidden in our unconscious minds. And that's the real thing. Like the root of the dandelion. We think it's the flowers and the leaves of the dandelion, but it's actually the root that's the problem. Now saying that, I love dandelions. They're not my enemy. I think they're great. But it's a good analogy. So if you have, you're dealing with grief and you're thinking this is just impossible to navigate, often there's things under the grief that are amplifying the grief. And, and hypnosis and NLP and timeline therapy, they can really help clear away some of the uh, old stuck clutter that's been, that is, you know, our unprocessed emotions and trauma and shame and those things that prevent us from enjoying day-to-day life, that prevent us from feeling confident, that prevent us from living well, from feeling good, from being happy, from thriving. So I highly recommend connecting with someone who does that type of work with the unconscious mind because more and more research and information is coming out saying this is where some incredible healing can take place and I've witnessed it with my own eyes over and over again with women and it's obviously useful for men as well. I just tend to work predominantly with women as my target demographic Uh, but it's useful for everyone doing this work, this deeper work on the underlying root causes of why we have our addictions, our anxiety, our low self-esteem, our fears, our inability to go after our dreams and achieve our goals. They're all mostly rooted in our unconscious mind because that's where we store our, that's where we form our habits and store our emotions and our memories and Everything that we've ever taken into our minds through our five senses is all stored in our unconscious mind. So to do, to create meaningful change, we need to create it on a deeper level, not just a conscious mind level where we're just making lists and planning our gym, what we're going to eat, our meal plan. All those things are great. But if we don't know why, why we become unmotivated, if we don't know why we want to eat all the things in the service station when we pick it up, petrol or gas, as you call it over in America. If we don't know why we're making those choices, the underlying reason why, then we're going to make them. And that's why 2% of people maintain their weight loss after two years. 98% have regained the weight that they lost or more. It's the reason why change, permanent lasting change is so hard to sustain because once we get far enough away from the thing that we didn't like, the behavior that we didn't like, we lose our motivation and then we fall back into old habits again. So it's about pulling out that root. And those things, I'm mentioning them because when we have grief, Every other crappy thing in our life is amplified. Our addictions are amplified. Our mental health problems are amplified. Our anger issues are amplified. Our challenges at work are amplified. Everything is amplified. Our poor relationships are poorer. Our poor parenting is poorer. Every aspect of our life struggles more 
when we're going through grief as well as to having unmanaged, unnoticed, unobserved, unsupported, contributing factors that are all making it amplified, all making it feel completely overwhelming and hopeless. So addressing those other areas can help make navigating grief so much easier, even though it still sucks. And I can't deny that because I've done lots and lots of work and it's still, you just can't run from it. You have to feel it and learn from it and witness it and just allow it to move in for a while and forgive yourself and be compassionate. I hope that was helpful to some of you. As I said, I didn't have a guest. I am just flying by the seat of my pants, which is how I navigate lots of life as an adult living with ADHD. But I'm sharing this just because I didn't know what else to say. And people always say that the thing that's hard for you is hard for somebody else. So that's why I'm sharing this because I thought maybe someone listening will be going through grief. And if you are, I'm sending you the biggest fucking hug. Sorry for swearing, but I'm not sorry because it's just awful and I love you and I'm here for you. If you want to message me, if you want to chat on the phone, as I said, I think in this episode, you can call me. Go to my website, corinnidja.com. We can have a free 30-minute, Always, it's always longer, but but 30-minute chat. Feel free to book in and I'll send you through a Zoom link and we can have a chat. Um, Otherwise, you can message me on Facebook or Instagram. I'm happy to answer any questions you have or point you in any direction of resources. Feel free to also book yourself in if you want Reiki or you want to begin your own journey with hypnosis. I'm offering one-on-one and online sessions, as I mentioned. And yeah, I would love to support you any way that I can. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you all next week. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road. Riding with you in the sunnier days. I wouldn't want it any other.